1: podcast that you may have heard once upon a time, but it's back like a phoenix from the flames. Welcome to In My Life, a podcast on the Man of the Post Network. Of course, I'm your host, Ross. You have heard me hosting the old Sunday show for a a fair few years, and you've heard me all around the internet on various different podcasts. Joining me for the first episode of the brand new season is uh, Mr. Andy Manson. He is the, the voice behind the Bar God podcast, a wrestling podcast looking back at old WrestleMania's. And also, one of our newest signers on Man on the Post. So, Andy, how are you? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. How's yourself? Yeah, good, mate. I've been super busy with the work, but I'm really excited to get this new podcast up and running. And uh, thanks for being my first guest.
0: Yeah, no problem. I'm uh, very much looking forward to it. It'll be good to uh, to talk about some some stuff out with the modern day. So, yeah,
1: yeah. I'm looking forward to it. So, I a mean, quick, quick breakdown for anyone who's not had the show before. It's. Um, it, it, it is a football show, obviously, it's on the Mountain Post Network, and it's based around five things in my guest's life that are real standout moments, and they can either be uh, fun things, exciting things I remember, or they can be the worst, most tragic football things I remember. So, for instance, when I did this podcast previously, I talked about my absolute hatred of the little rat-faced ass, um Harry <laughs> Kuel. Um but also my, my, my love of the Middlesbrough, your UEFA Cup run in 2005, I think it was. It was a, a magical season for them. Nothing to do with Leeds or the team of support, but it's just a football thing that stood out in my mind as a really enjoyable memory. Um so, Andy, do you have like an overarching um, subject on this, other than football, obviously? Or are they kind of various things? Oh, no, it?
0: it's various. I mean, anyone who's kind of listened to the, the me on The Man the Post podcast previously will know that I'm, I'm both a Rangers and an Arsenal man, have yeah. been for, for 30 years for plus for both now. So, you know, they two feature quite prominently, but there's also a couple of other things in there just from, you know, things that I enjoy about football in general.
1: Okay, brilliant. Well... As I say, there's five things. They can be you know, five good, five bad, a mixture of all of them, and of course we do end with a song, uh, the the guest song that kind of ties into football for them whenever they hear it, it recover up a football memory. But let's start, Andy, with um, well, with one of your choices. Let me know if it's a good one or a bad one. Uh,
0: so I'm going to start off with the one bad one I've got because I. I want to get it out of the way and then never okay. have to talk about it again um it was uh, well as a, as a leeds fan it's something you'll be well aware of it's yeah. uh rangers financial problems that eventually led to their administration in
1: 2012
0: Ah, uh, yeah uh yeah not well, a great time to be a rangers fan <laughs> um even more so considering you know Perhaps unlike other clubs who've gone through problems like this, we have the rival to end all rivals in Celtic, you know, city rivals.
1: Yeah.
0: Um haven't made it easy for Rangers fans <laughs> <laughs> over the years, I think it's safe to say. Um I'm pretty certain that everyone has heard the name Sevco. I'm pretty certain mm-hmm. that everyone's heard this referred to as zombies who've <laughs> come back from the dead. Um yeah, so it's it's just been uh it's been a rough six years since administration, let's put it that way. Is
1: it only um, six years at this point?
0: Yeah, it was uh, June 2012, I believe. Wow. It was at the end of that uh, the 2011-2012 season um, that we eventually went into administration. I mean, it, the writing had been on the wall for a long time, uh, and we we had done what we could to fight it off. But, yeah, it was just... The the odds were, were insurmountable, unfortunately.
1: Because, obviously, in Leeds, Leeds' case, they... They mortgaged everything on the future of winning the Champions League and qualifying for the Champions League season. Season yeah. was that kind of what Rangers? That, that? that was that
0: uh, was yeah. There was there was a combination of things. One, David Murray, who was our, our chairman at the time, yeah. that, that was partly his ego. You know, he'd come from. He was a steel magnate. Was worth at that time what was was quite a lot of money. Obviously, they'd used that to to fund Rangers to to almost unprecedented domestic success. Um yeah. never quite translated into European success. But eventually I mean there was there were points, uh, I think it was around nineteen ninety nine, two thousand. Right. Um you may be aware of this may not, because it was it was hilarious. There was a uh, talk in one of the local newspapers about the fact that David Murray had this grand scheme where Rangers could essentially put out two squads, one for domestic competition and one right. for European. And in that European squad was Ronaldo, as in R nine. Ronaldo. What? Um that was that was the talk at the time, was it David Murray had suggested that if Ronaldo should become available for twenty five, thirty million, I think whatever it was at the time.
1: Yeah.
0: Then Rangers could afford it. What? Um of course, as we learned a short decade later, that was absolute bollocks. <laughs> um and it's it's it was an odd situation where rangers spent a lot of money one nine in a row but there were several years in that where they didn't have to spend that kind of money to win domestically right celtic were poor at that point there was one there was two seasons in the middle of that where our closest challengers were motherwell oh,
1: right. wow.
0: um it was an odd time for scottish football <laughs> let's put it that way
1: yeah um in, in the two thousand three two two thousand three season, um, yeah. Murray had Burden Rangers with debts of around fifty two million, and that's 2
0: three. Yeah, I mean it, it, by I'm pretty certain by if not the following year, then the year after those had ballooned up to over eighty. Oof, wow.
1: Um,
0: yeah, I, so it was it's it's been. As I said, it wasn't great at the time. The the success kind of took us through that. But obviously, as Celtic began to come back, they they, you know, they got investment from the likes of Dermot Desmond and so on. Got their own financial house in order. Uh, people tend to forget Celtic were twenty four hours away from from going out of business themselves <laughs> back in nineteen ninety four. I think it might have been. Right. Ferguson kind of came in and, and saved them last minute. Um, But then as the success began to dry up and you noticed that the quality of player we were bringing in had gone from the Brian Loudrups and Paul Gascoines of the world to the Egil Austin Stads (laughs) um, of the world. uh, That was when, you know, alarm bells started to ring. Murray obviously saw the writing on the wall, sold on to Craig White, basically sold the club for a pound, plus what debt we had. And of course, as we found out, Craig White, very quickly turned out to be an absolute charlatan who would essentially mortgage Rangers' future um, on future season ticket sales. Wow, Which I don't think is technically illegal, but morally um, let's just say it was a, a little sketchy and obviously didn't work out and as such, we've kind of been faced with a situation since where it's just at a revolving door of owners who, who don't necessarily have the the club's best interest at home
1: that sounds incredibly similar to Leeds yeah. <laughs> especially the mortgage and uh, future ticket sales and that sort of stuff it's it's terrifying that clubs can I mean I, I it kind of slipped my mind this was only six years ago I thought this was m- longer ago but then the, the rise back up the leagues has been it's, it's, sure, yeah, phenomenal it's, really I mean the, the, the quality is probably not the best in League 2 League 3 um, whatever but on the way back up they've they've dominated these leagues
0: so, yeah, I mean, we the, the one thing I would say is that when we reached the championship, which is much like England, the, the, the league below, yeah. the Premier League, it took us two seasons to get out of that league, yeah. which was partly, I mean, you could partly say it was down to the quality of players we had, but even by that point, you know, Rangers were still bringing in forty to 45,000 fans for every home game. They should have been, they were still financially far and away, in a better position than any NL club we were coming up against in that league. Um Ali McCoy took the brunt of that. Some of it fair. I think Ali would be the first to admit that tactically he got a lot wrong yeah. when he was when he was Rangers manager. But at the same time uh, he wasn't helped by the fact that you know we had Craig uh, Craig White and then it was uh, Charles Green who came in you know, Gruff Yorkshireman who seemed like a used car salesman from the minute he walked into the club. Uh, we eventually got Dave King in who Dave King, to be fair, is a Rangers fan. However, Dave King, for anyone who's got any remote knowledge of this, is well aware of the fact that he's had real tax issues right. in South Africa, um, where he was based, and unfortunately is now Financially, we seem okay. Not outstanding. I do get the impression that another season without European football might might tip us over the edge again. Right. But he's, he's kind of come in and he's started pandering to the lowest common denominator amongst Rangers fans again. You you might have seen uh, recently that we've released our third kit, which is all orange.
1: Wow, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. I was looking now, yeah, wow. It's not the first
0: time, we did it in 2000, but then they could, I mean, we know why they brought out the orange kit in yeah. 2000, but they could at least hide behind the fact that Dick Advoca was the manager at that point, and we did have a fairly large Dutch contingent in the yeah, dressing room,
1: yeah.
0: but now, I mean, it's it's absolutely obvious what he's doing, <laughs> he's got Rangers into real siege mentality mode, he said, uh, you know, every week there's another quote about how he thinks the SFA or track screw Rangers and so on, and... <sighs> It's it's still concerning times. I think we will be closer. I think as much as and I've had this conversation with Colin uh, actually about Stephen Gerrard and whether he should have got the job yeah. before he's he's fully kind of got his teeth in elsewhere. I think he'll attract players if nothing else. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he'll probably play decent foot get the team playing decent football. But it's just yeah, it's been a really rough rough few years to be a rangers fan and um it, it feels like it could be a long time if ever before we get back to to kind of where we were late 80s through to to early 2000s
1: yeah there's, there's a, a few clubs that have been kind of to this depth of, of myself and yourself we, we've witnessed but it's it's happened to more and more clubs and it is a, a, a shocking indictment on modern football and the people that are allowed to run clubs but
0: yeah, I mean, this goes, and uh, we could talk all day about the the wider, uh, uh, consequences of the money that's come into football. You know, anybody who's been on Twitter the last few days will see that the talk is the fact that Everton are buying Richarlison from Watford for fifty million quid. Yeah, when ten years ago fifty million quid would get you into Dinza Dan. it's it's insane, and it's it's leaving more and more clubs vulnerable to this kind of thing because they're having to spend money they don't have just to compete yeah. or just actually just to tread water, not even compete at this point and um, I for one can't wait for the bubble to burst on all of this which inevitably has to at some point
1: yeah, because
0: if, if fees keep going up like this, how long are we away from a billion dollar player? It's um, It's insane. It's insane.
1: <laughs> yeah. Ronaldo at thirty three years old has been sold for that much money. That's, uh, that's <laughs> it's mad. It's mad it's maddening as well. But anyway, that's the that's the negative you said. Let's get on to some positives then. What's your first positive? Uh
0: so I'll stick with Rangers for this and it's uh it's been European nights for Rangers, uh, which admittedly hasn't been for a few years now. <laughs> but um I have some really, really fond memories of uh Rangers European nights in the 90s and the 2000s. Mm -hmm. Um, Hopefully we might get some of those back sooner rather than later. Maybe this season, maybe not. But yeah, there's been, even in amongst the periods of domestic dominance that we had, or points where we haven't been doing well domestically, the fact that Rangers have always kind of been able to look back on some of those big European nights. Uh, I know you're going to kill me for bringing this one up. The battle of Britain in 1992, you know, yeah,
1: being
0: yeah. able to, yeah. being able to beat the Champions of Leeds, uh, Champ- champions of England, sorry, mm. uh, over two legs, at a time when, as as we all know, you know, the opinion of Scottish football was starting to change from what it had been in the 80s, where you could look at teams and say that those Scottish teams are actually really good. You know, they were making the yeah. later stages of to tournaments regularly the 90s it was starting to kind of get that view of oh it's a bit of a Mickey Mouse leak, hmm. Leeds a, leads a hammer, Rangers across these two legs and the fact that we were able to, to almost comfortably in the end up kind of come through that was, was, a, was a big moment uh, for me personally, that was you know I was uh, 14, 15 at the time when it was really starting to kind of get uh, a real love of the game yeah. Um and then kinda okay, the fast forwarding on to the in fact that was the year we almost reached the we were one goal away from reaching what was the first uh Champions League final. Oh wow. Where, you know, if we'd been able to score one more against Marseille at the Velodrome, uh it would have been us playing AC Milan <laughs> rather than Marseille, which is which is an insane wow, sentence to yeah. say. Um <laughs>
1: I remember that battle, I, was, I, was, I think I was eight for the Battle of Britain, and it, yeah. it was kind of my first real, because obviously I was aware of the Leeds were in the league season before, and my dad was massively <laughs> excited, and thinking, that like, European football, we're going to we're play teams from outside of our league, we're going to play these other teams, and yeah. when you, I remember the build-up to the Rangers game, and obviously Leeds had I've always had a strong Scottish contingent in our squad and around yeah. the club. And obviously their captain at the times, Graham McAllister and Gordon Strachan, they were the two main midfielders, and I remember that game. It was just, it was massive. It felt like a huge game to me.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. Back then, it absolutely was. Back then, that wasn't just Scotland and England that were paying attention to that. That was that was kind of European hmm. football paying attention to that. Um, Leeds, of course, that that season it. I don't know if you recall, that was actually, they'd qualified for that game by having to play a third game
1: against <laughs> yeah, just Stuttgart. Stuttgart
0: had yeah. fielded the ineligible player.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so, you know, I, I think that partly created some confidence around Rangers because obviously Leeds did the business in that third game, but, you know, they'd, they'd fell short hmm. over the original two legs. And I think there was some confidence that there was... There was ways to get at Leeds. Uh, Leeds, were, I mean, I know they didn't have a great domestic season that season, no. um, but at the t- they still had a team that had won the league the season before. You know, they had yeah. Eric Cantona before before his Man United days. Gary McAllister was an outstanding midfielder. Gordon Strachan, by that point, obviously quite old, but still yeah. more than capable of dictating the pace of a game. Uh, you know, you had Tony Drigo, who at that point might arguably have been England's best...
1: Fullback,
0: yeah. Bob um, that, that wing, yeah. Yeah. John Lukic. Uh, obviously, we talked about the fact that John Wickic, <laughs> you know, punched
1: that it in it baffles but... me how he managed to do that.
0: Yeah, well, I don't, I don't fully understand. I went back either. And watched
1: those goals yesterday <laughs> after we mentioned this, and it's, it's an odd, odd decision that he made. But yeah, yeah, we had we had a strong team, and for Rangers to do us over two legs, it, uh, it was a real statement game. And like you say, you were that close to getting to the final. What kind of is there any others? In recent seasons? But yeah,
0: I mean, there's been, there has been stuff. I mean, if you fast hold to 2000, you know, one of Advoca's seasons, you know, mm. we actually ended up not qual- qualifying out of this group, but we beat Sturmgratz 5 uh, 0 at Ibrooks. Nice. And it wasn't just that we'd beaten them 5 0, it's that we played some really, really outstanding football in that mm. game. The, the one thing we did do, at least for the first couple of seasons of Dick Advocat's reign, was. Uh, was play some really good football. Uh, yeah. we had the players to do so. Um George Alberts who's, who's probably oh. my favourite player of all time. He you know, had that hammer of a left yeah, foot, a left but you foot, know, yeah. It was also could control games, you know, was took our penalties, you know, could curl in free kicks as well. It wasn't all just about the, the hammer mm. uh into the bottom corner. Um Gio Van Bronckhurst who you know, but looking back now, I think we paid five and a half million for him. <laughs> at that point that was an absolute bargain. We yeah. obviously sold him to Arsenal for eight and the next thing you knew he was he was in the World Cup final <laughs> captain captain in Holland. Uh, Arthur Newman, another world class yeah. player, you know, there was some there were some really good players at Rangers at that point, obviously, you know, that partly led to the problems we discussed previously. <laughs> but yeah. at the time to be in it it was it was fantastic. And then, obviously, the, the, the kind of major one uh, over the last kind of 15, 20 years was the run of the UEFA Cup final in 2008. Yes. Um, we were a much more pragmatic side then than we were in 2000. Uh, you know, we, we got to the final by beating Fiorentino on penalties after drawing both games nil-nil. You know, we were defensively very strong, not necessarily the best going forward, but the game for me in that run was going to Lisbon and knocking over Sporting 2-0 uh, to qualify f- uh, for the semi-finals. I think that was
1: yeah, that no put us in. Fight.
0: No, not at all. Sporting-Lisbon at that point was still a very good team. Portuguese League was stronger than it perhaps is now. Um, they battered us for most of that game. But the one thing Walt Smith did very well was set his teams up on the counter attack, uh, and the first of those two goals was was a was a fantastic counter attack goal that um, Jean Claude Darvill scored. Yeah. Uh, off the bat, some really good build up play from from Stephen Naismith and Stephen Davis. So it was. Um, to, rangers then didn't do themselves any favors in the final they were poor in the final rangers fans definitely didn't do themselves any favors with the with the scenes after the game
1: yeah
0: uh regardless of how much they might look to blame other people for that they were the ones still doing the rioting um there's but, of them as well
1: apparently there in Manchester. yeah
0: yeah uh, absolutely insane but again just shows how strong a support
1: yeah
0: that the fact that they're still one of the most well-supported clubs, certainly in Europe, anyway. But yeah, a, a unfortunate end to what, what at that point had been a, a fairly magical and an unexpected run.
1: Yeah, as it's, it's kind of reminiscent of my Middlesbrough kind of callback to just the thing that it's not really fancy to do, it, but just gets sort gets gets there by hook crook, and then uh, doesn't yeah. quite overcome the hurdle at the end. But yeah, cracking. Cricket, no, we
0: were, yeah, we played a very good uh, Zenit Saint Petersburg team at the time. I think that might have been the last year they had what was a prime Andrei Arshavin. They
1: and their managed by Dick as well.
0: Yes, um, <laughs> really, really good, good team at the point where Russian teams were were spending a lot of money. Yeah. uh so it's perhaps unsurprising that at that point we we fell just a bit short, but yeah, still, as as even at that point you know we hadn't had a great few years so it was it was definitely a proud proud moment to see a scottish team and particularly rangers in a, a european final again it's you don't see that happening nowadays um so uh, yeah want to save her for a while i think
1: yeah definitely um your next uh, your next good memory andy
0: as far as I said, I'm also an Arsenal fan, so I think it would only it would be remiss of me if I didn't bring up the Invincible season oh, yes. of 2003-04. Uh, uh, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, everybody talks about the fact that Arsenal went undefeated that season, and obviously, look, in the history books, that's what people pay attention to, uh, going undefeated in a, a hugely competitive league. But it's the way they did it. Mm. More than anything else. I mean, don't get me wrong. There was quite a few draws in there. I think it was something like 25 wins, 13 draws uh, over the course of the season. Yeah. So you know, it's not like every gate It's not like Arsenal romped to to every win. But when they did, when they were on form, they were probably the most irresistible team. The only team you could really compare to recently is the the kind of Pep. Man City team, yeah, the last season, you know, oh,
1: who, yeah, who
0: kind of way with.
1: I'm looking at some of the um, the results from that run. I mean, it started with a six-one win at Saints, mm-hmm. hat tricks for and Jermaine Pennant. I remember that game, yeah, uh, vividly. And then also in here, you you battered Leeds five nil and four one. I always remember that because Harry <laughs> Henry obviously. Superstar player yeah, would score yeah. against us every single time, and we had absolutely no <laughs> idea how to defend against him. Yeah, but there's also wins like one 0 away to Blackburn and one 0 away to Wolves. Like they're they the games that often teams come unstuck against. And it's
0: it's yeah, it's funny enough the, I mean everybody remembers the the back four from the kind of double team in 1998. You know, yeah. Winterburn, Dixon, Adams, Bold. I, you maybe don't. Expect the the team of 2003 four to go down quite as much in the memories. Obviously, we had a, a, a very good Ashley Cole at that point. Mm-hmm. We had Martin Keown um, yeah. with Lauren, uh, who played right back most of the season and so on. But yeah, you're right. Those are the games. The games where you know the the kind of attacking players maybe aren't firing on all cylinders, Where you need those players. And they're probably the unsung heroes of that unbeaten run because you can't go unbeaten in a season just by being an outstanding attacking team. You need to have yeah, that yeah. wherewithal back. And, um, yeah, just everything kind of came together. That, for me, was the best season Patrick Vieira ever had as a professional football player. Yes. Um, just so good that literally the prototype box-to-box midfielder. Mm-hmm. Um, Freddie Jungberg, obviously, had, and Robert Perez and, and even Ray Parler at that point, funnily enough, um, all really adept at making runs beyond the front two.
1: Yeah, um, Ray Parler devoted to a player that I don't think anyone saw him becoming.
0: No, absolutely. And then, of course, he topped it off with the... I can't remember if that was in the undefeated season, but there was the FA Cup final where he scored that uh, Perler against oh, yeah. Chelsea
1: yeah.
0: FA Cup final uh, really good goal and kind of summed up Arsenal's mentality at that point point. Mm. Um, and then of course as you said Thierry Henry was an absolute superstar probably the best player in the world at that point uh, if not definitely top three yeah. um, it's just literally nothing he couldn't do so on the, a football pitch.
1: Some of the games where you're scoring tons of goals I mean just you went on a four-one-five-three-three-nil-four-one-three-nil run, and just the, the the players that scored goals in that—Burkamp, Omri, Pires, uh, Jose Reyes—it's just mm. Freddy Youngberg. Youngberg for me was my favourite of all of those players in that team because he had he had the crazy hair, he had the, the red make, <laughs> which I had <laughs> yep. myself as well. I was a huge yep. Freddy fan. Um, yeah, but it, it's Gilberto Silva. He was the rock that entire yeah. team pivoted around, and he was the one player that Arsenal could never. Um, replace.
0: No, it's um it's one of those he w- he was never gonna be appreciated fully while he was at the club. Um yeah. Most defensive midfielders aren't, let's be honest. I think you could maybe point to two or three defensive midfielders in the modern game that people recognise for what they do now.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh in Golo Cante, for example. Yeah, definitely. Um but you're right. Gilberto Silva was the one who allowed those other midfielders to make the runs they made. Mm. Um, and even Gilberto Silva, he didn't score much, but you know he weighed in with a couple of important goals. Yeah. Uh, gave the back gave the fullbacks the freedom to kind of run on and make those those kind of attacking runs that especially Ashley Cole I thought really benefited from. Oh yeah. Gilberto, Ashley Cole probably owes Gilberto Silva a few quid (laughs) for the amount of wages he was then able to make from Chelsea uh, over the years Um, but yeah, just a really I mean, not even just a great time to be an Arsenal fan, just a great time to be a football fan, I think because if you were unless you were a Spurs fan or a Man United fan (laughs) you know, as a footballing neutral, you knew that When you were watching Arsenal on Match of the Day or on Sky Sports or whatever, there was a fair chance you were going to see at least some really good football. It
1: was was Um, counter-attacking perfection a lot of the time. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, Funnily enough, I actually think that was something Wenger learned from uh, Alex Ferguson. Yeah. Because if you remember right, those first few years Wenger was there, yes, they did stop uh, United on a couple of occasions for winning the league but I could point to numerous goals of Arsenal just being absolutely destroyed on the break yeah. by Manchester United, and that was something Wenger definitely adopted for a, for a few years.
1: Oh yeah, a the quick so. ball out to the wing and then just a the diagonal ball through to Henry, that's kind of, I kind of associate certain goals with certain teams, and that diagonal yeah. slipped ball through to Henry from is, that's that is my yeah, Arsenal goal.
0: Yep, that's the one. That's you know the the inside of the right foot curled into the far corner. That yeah, yeah. you're right. That is the prototypical uh, mid 2000s Arsenal goal. Yeah. And, um Yeah. Just a really, like I said, really great time to be both an Arsenal fan and uh, a football fan.
1: Is this the season they played in that burgundy kit as well? Because that kit was. Oh. I that love that
0: shirt. was that was I think if if it wasn't the following season it was the season after that wow. it was the last season at Ibury, Yes. which I, I think was 2005 that. six yeah it's it's really good I'm I'm surprised they haven't uh, kind of kept something yeah. hint of burgundy in there I mean the red white I realize is classic Arsenal but I but you're right that burgundy kit was 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 great
1: I owned that shirt. <laughs> Ah, nice. <laughs> <laughs> no, as a Leeds fan, that pains me to say, but I own that It was that nice. Um, yeah, so that's a memory that not many other fans can have. I think only three <laughs> or four other teams around the world have managed a run this that impressive. Um, What's your next memory, Andy? Ah,
0: uh, Liverpool four, Newcastle
1: three. Oh, yes.
0: The the Liverpool Newcastle four three game, the one where. Kevin Keegan looked absolutely broken-hearted. <laughs> as a neutral, it probably remains one of the best five games of football I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, chaos. Yeah, absolute chaos. Uh, both teams absolutely no interest in defending. It was literally <laughs> end to end. Uh, obviously, that was Kevin Keegan's Newcastle team's kind of mo.
1: Yeah.
0: Liverpool perhaps a little more canny, but kind of get drawn into it. It was almost like in a boxing match where. You've got the slip slip boxer, mm. the one who moves in and out, who gets drawn into just standing toe to toe with a puncher.
1: Yeah, doesn't want to go.
0: Uh, yeah, but somehow find themselves drawn into it anyway. <sighs> and it was just there were there were good go- there were good goals in that game as well. Robbie Fowler's header yeah. um, was 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 brave, was powerful. Came off the the back of a, a outstanding. I think it was chasing McAteer cross. Mm. Um, yeah. Newcastle themselves scored a couple of crackers. Faustino Australia was was uh, was that Asprelia or Was that you yeah. I get my four three games mixed up sometimes because obviously they had <laughs> kind of two or three in and relatively short space of time. Uh, Australia was was unplayable. Yeah. Uh, Genoa was was outstanding. Um,
1: I think Ferdinand got a goal as well. Lee, for Newcastle I think? He-
0: Yes, he did. He's the one yeah, kinda came off the bar, I think, and yeah. just crossed the line. Um you had a fantastic team back then. It's it's a real shame that Keegan didn't have let's be honest, any kind of defensive <laughs> now. <laughs> because yeah. because if they had any uh they would have won at least one league title on that point. Because Definitely, going yeah. forward absolutely fantastic. Um you you look at their first game against Man United the following season when they beat them 5 0. Mm. That's what Newcastle are capable of. Um it just such a good game of football. And for me that that game is almost the kind of definitive Sky Sports moment. Yes. Sky Sports is, is kinda obviously You know Developed much more of a, a reputation these days for in a lot of ways having ruined Football at mm. the lower levels because of the money that they themselves are personally responsible for pumping into the modern game. Yeah, but this kind of felt like the sweet spot where, yes, mid nineties. Yeah, um, Martin Tyler, Andy Gray, obviously still yeah. commenting at that time. You know, uh, Martin Tyler's, you know, call off, call him off for <laughs> uh, the, the winner. Um. So even as someone who wasn't, uh, was never a big Liverpool guy, you know, I, I respected what they'd done in the late 80s. Obviously, at that point, were just on their way back from a kind of fallow period in the, the early to mid 90s. Um, it's just a, a fantastic game of football, fantastic atmosphere, great commentary, great moments. Um, yeah, still a top three football match of all time for me, and I, I just. Wish teams almost almost begrudge the fact that teams are so much better tactically (laughs) nowadays.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, it's less fun, isn't it? Sometimes.
0: Yeah, it's just that you go into these games and you, you know, even you look at something, you look at the World Cup and you look at France Argentina, which also ended up four three, um, but the result never really felt in doubt. Um, it, it didn't. It didn't feel like two teams kind of just standing there and swinging at each other. It was. It was very much France had done the business and Argentina scored a couple of yeah,
1: consolation of of pillars, Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, and yeah. It, but again, that was partly down to the fact that France were were so good tactically, and you know, mm. but Argentina could still rely on to some extent on on Messi to kind of pull the strings in there, whereas these games back then i mean that there, there are plenty of other games that were high scoring back then you know i remember those days for for three twos and, yeah. and four ones and, and so on it was it was like one every week um
1: yeah there was always reason to tune in to match
0: yeah absolutely uh whereas now as i said because of the, the way football's gone and i understand why it's gone this way you know the amount of money involved now means that the stakes are that much higher, yeah. and mistakes are, are have to be at much more of a premium. Um, yeah, just a, a real kind of microcosm of of why I I grew to love the game in the first place, and uh, you know a good memory for me to have it in times where you know I'm going to be the old man shouting at the cloud <laughs> about this
1: football. <laughs> No, that's a, that's a great pick. And the the, the everlasting image of uh, Keegan just slumped over the advertising holdings is one that will live forever. I and mean, man that's yeah. just purely exhausted and has not even played in the game. It's
0: yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. And then, of course, that then led into the end of the season where, you know, we got the infamous oh, yeah. I would love it rant. <laughs> um, even things like that, you just don't get that level one needle between managers anymore there's obviously some notable exceptions you know Mourinho and Conte
1: it's much more snidey now isn't it
0: yes no it one's is going to
1: come out on TV and just lose it basically
0: yeah it's, it's much more passive aggressive yeah. and, um, sometimes I just wish a player or a manager would call out another manager it would be a much be a much healthier place yeah,
1: have a bit more WWE into your football come on
0: absolutely yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean they've got the money they could you know they could manufacture some things <laughs> really easily done
1: yeah let's get some fuse happening <laughs> right Andy onto your, your fifth and final pick and I believe it's a good one as well
0: yeah um I must admit this is perhaps me being a little bit of a hostage at the moment um but I am picking the 2018 World Cup right um because for me, and I've seen, I've seen. Well, sorry, I've now seen uh, World Cups since what like, 1982. 1986 is the first one I can kind of properly remember. Yeah. 2018, in the light of days, probably the the best World Cup uh, I've seen. Uh, and I just, I think there was so there was so much going on at play there. There was there was teams. Fancy teams get going out early. There was a ton of last-minute goals. Yeah, uh, there was some really good football in there. You know, we had some real breakout performances. Obviously, Killian and Mbappe People were aware of them beforehand. Hmm. Everyone is talking about that boy now. Yeah. Um, and also I think it's easy to malign social media nowadays, quite rightly so. It's been used for so many awful, terrible things. Yeah. but. When when you get a really good event like this, something everyone's enjoying, and I must admit, you know, England reaching the semi finals did play a big part in that. It, yeah. it felt good to be part of a group who really enjoyed something again. It's mm-hmm. been in it's been in short supply over the last four or five years in particular, and um,
1: yeah, no, I think it's spot on there definitely, especially on social yeah. media. It's uh, it can be a horrible place to be sometimes, and this kind of. It, even if you don't support England, and obviously you don't, and a lot of people, especially in our little group, don't don't like the England team.
0: Yeah,
1: it's it, it's it rekindled my love of football this this World Cup because towards the end of last season, I was I was done with football. I was like, this is it. it it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sport ruined by football, uh, ruined by money, and yeah, players don't care anymore. And to see this England team and some, some other countries as well, the Croatians just going for it, just for the love of playing for their country and just wanting to win the ultimate prize, it's really just rekindled my love of football completely.
0: Yeah, I mean, even things like, I mean, we I think we may have spoke on the podcast at some point about just how uh, disgraceful some of Panama's tactics during games had been. Uh, They were not a pretty team to watch. Uh, I think that's putting it politely. (laughs) Yet at the same time, when they scored against England, their first ever goal in their first ever World Cup and yeah. the reaction to their fans, even <laughs> though at that point they were 6-0 down, for me, that kind of sums up the the joy that still exists yeah. around international football. That was... Panama never came to this expecting to win the World Cup. Panama probably didn't come to this expecting to win a game. No. So they were going to savour every single positive moment they could get out of that. Yeah. I, and it's still, there's there's just so many good stories come out of World Cups. And as you said, the fact that it's not about the money at that point.
1: No, these players, obviously the players are not getting paid to be there and the story came mm-hmm. out about Mbappe uh, giving his, his, his game checks to the uh, a charity or something. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's something that's happened for years with the England team, but it's, they've never mentioned it. It's just something that they do. And I'm sure other countries do this as well. It's, it's You don't play for your country to get paid to play for your country. You do it. for the, That should be your ultimate aim. And,
0: yeah, I mean, c- compared to what you're earning for a season, that, you know the Man Cities yeah. and the, the Liverpools and so on in the world, you know that that, that international fees, chicken feed.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's nothing. You At can afford point. to give it away. And it, just, it gives you a, a, a good, a good uh, public image of yourself. But yeah, this World yeah. Cup... Going into it, there was obviously the fears it's being held in Russia. There's yeah, not a country that's in the greatest state currently. But yeah, uh, that didn't come into my mind once during this tournament that they're in Russia and what everything that goes with that.
0: No, I mean Russia is is a country that's gone through. I don't even know if I want to say some amount of turmoil because it seems like the people are solidly behind the leader Mm -hmm. or so on. But from the outside looking in, you can see the issues that Russia's got. But you're right. But then you could say the same about any international tournament nowadays. You could look back at Brazil where, you know, those stadiums were barely finished. Uh, Those stadiums are now sitting there unused. You know, it's not a surprise to say that, you know, South American... uh, governments that are involved in some amount of corruption (laughs) and so on if you can look at the finals of euro 2020 coming up that are going to be held in england yeah and you look at the state that that great britain's currently in yeah but football does kind of whether this is a good thing or a bad thing i know there's going to be a lot of people out there thinking that that football shouldn't distract you from those things but i think particularly nowadays, we all need some kind of positivity yes. to cling on to. And for me, the World Cup at the moment, despite of FIFA's own troubles, particularly over the last few years, still are able to produce good tournaments uh, that, that give people something to, to distract them, if nothing else, for a, for a month. But it, again, this one helped. It was just a really good tournament. Um, a lot of good teams in it I think some teams were much better than we expected them to be mm-hmm. some teams were definitely worse than we expected them to be yeah. again I think for me probably looking back at this now the overriding moment of this World Cup is Germany not just going out after losing to South Korea but going out because of a VAR decision yeah a correct VAR decision as it turns out and that kind of defined a lot of the World Cup VAR and whether it had a place in the game and so on so yeah again I appreciate that maybe this is maybe just the bias of of recency that's involved here you know the fact that it's just finished but it was was good to be able to have a good football tournament to talk about with a lot of people who who felt the same way
1: Definitely yeah I mean you look back to the Brazil World Cup and one or two moments aside, it's kind of a forgettable World Cup and in twenty ten in South Africa the the good the the, the 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 foray about it being in Africa was massive, but really there's not many moments in that one that stand out either. And then you, you you're going back quite a few years to I don't know, maybe the Korea Japan one for the last time there was a...
0: So yeah, I mean Korea Japan's in my top three all time and I appreciate that itself comes with some caveats because obviously I mean, there are some fairly obvious signs of corruption there to, yeah. to get South Korea to the stage they got. <laughs> yeah. However, the host nation going far into a tournament does make a difference. Yes. And the fact that they were able to reach that stage meant that also much more favourable conditions than perhaps the last couple of World Cups mm. yeah. had been. Brazil, you're right, I think overall probably isn't a great tournament. I think that one's bolstered by, you know, Brazil capitulating in quite the
1: yeah
0: the manner they did. Two thousand ten, I agree, I think the fact that it was held in Africa is a huge milestone. But the Vuvuzela constantly oh, droning the fact yeah. The fact that we got the unfortunately uh, kinda dull Spain, I realised that it, mm. you know, they'd taken Tikitaka to its uh, unfortunate conclusion at that point but it was just pass the ball around until you anesthetize the other team um not a fantastic tournament 2018 felt I mean obviously you know average was about 2.6 2.7 goals a game
1: yeah
0: that's all it's going to make for a good tournament
1: Oh, definitely.
0: Russia made the later stages of the tournament again regardless of your thoughts on Russia the the host team getting far is a good thing um and just a lot of good individual performances ronaldo's hat trick against spain and mbappe's performance against argentina um just some really really good moments that i think will probably stand the test of time
1: yeah definitely this will this will obviously the, the, the recency bias is there because it, it is so so only just finished but it's mm-hmm. also i think it will stand the test of time for me USA 94 was always my top tournament and I think that's because that was my first World Cup and it was, yeah. it was such a bright and colourful World Cup because it's in America. Yeah. But that, I don't know, in terms of quality, I can't remember it being that good. This one, the, the teams that were there and the teams that made it to the Final Four and teams that didn't make it to the Final Four. I Like, you mentioned the Germany game against South Korea. I thought after the Sweden game, I thought, oh, here we go. Germany are just going to put it all together and yeah. it'll be mm-hmm. the procession of usual German football. But to see them go out to a small country and then the Croatia stories get to the final after going through extra time and all the knockout games and Belgium and their golden generation and the Croatian golden generation and, and the, the emergence of Mbappe and players like that for France, it's, it, it's good, I think. It's good for world football that we've had a good World Cup because after a few downers, it's, it's good that the World Cup is the best thing about football because it's, that's what it should be, it's the World Cup.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And as you says it, it's about wider than just international tournaments at this point as well. You said yourself, believe me, as a Rangers and Arsenal fan who's been through a tough few years, I, I've also spent large parts of the last four or five years falling completely out of love yeah. with football. Um, but this this has me heading into the new season with, with some level of optimism. Now, mm. I'm sure by the end of this season, I might be exactly <laughs> right back at square <laughs> one again. But if anything, that just again confirms how good a World Cup this has been.
1: Yeah.
0: Because in spite of the fact that I know there's a fair chance I'm going to reach the end of this season feeling the same way about football, the fact that I'm going into it with some kind of um, uh, optimism and positivity is is again just a sign that this has been a really good World Cup
1: yeah definitely right then We've, we finish these podcasts with a song and it's uh, it'll be Andy's choice of a, a song that kind of brings together a football moment for him every time he thinks about it it, it brings up a football memory in his mind so Andy what have you got
0: uh, this is going to sound really cliched um, it's going to be Ness and Dorma oh, okay. Um because the 1990 World Cups got a kind of special place in my heart as well. Yeah. And again, maybe I don't hate England quite as much as I make out because that was <laughs> that was the last time they they made that stage of a World Cup as well. Yeah. But there was just there was just something about a World Cup being held in Italy. That was that was very special. I would like to see them hold another one against you. I'm, I'm slightly I understand that Italy as a country is going through some financial difficulties at the moment, which means it probably won't be looking to host the World Cup anytime soon. No, but there's just there's always been a certain kind of magic when you think about football in Italy, even in the the recent kind of down period of Serie A. Um, and my overriding memory of the 1990 World Cup is always going to be Toto Scalacci. Mm-hmm. And his just reaction every time he scored a goal. And every time I see his face, I hear Ness and Dorma <laughs> in the background. Um, that's perhaps an idealistic view of football, but I suppose that's that's what you know a song to, that kind of brings back those memories is always going to be. So... Yeah, it's Nessa nice Dormer for me. The 1990 World Cup, you know, I was, I was a teenager at that point. You know, as I said, really kind of starting to develop a love for the game. Game yeah. uh, at a time when Rangers were on their, their way back up. Um, Scotland, obviously one of the last uh, international tournaments they qualified for. Um, gave a reasonable account of herself apart from the Costa Rica game. Mm. Um, Beat the I- yep. Ireland, you know, winning the penalty shootout against Romania
1: yeah
0: um wow. baggio kind of coming to the fore as a as a prominent player in the world game uh the cameroon player absolutely having claudio kinesia <laughs> um still hilarious to me <laughs> the fact that that player loses his shoe um, is is incredible um and then even even some of the England moments, you know, David Platt's face when he scores the the volley against Belgium.
1: <laughs> yeah, look of pure shock. Uh,
0: Roger Mier, you know, his dance routine. If it, coming to the fore when no one had heard, to that, heard of him at all. Yeah, it's um, yeah, just that 1990s, actually, are, are, you might look at it and say not a huge amount of goals. A lot of goals in that a lot of games in that were kind of decided 1-0 and so on but it was yeah. a lot of good football great atmosphere and all it just came together and yeah the, so that was all kind of topped off by Ness and Dormerson for me so yeah that is my my song
1: there you go that's what we'll go out on then thank you very much Andy
0: yeah no problem enjoyed that
1: let's um Give some people some social media plugs and You can obviously find us at Man on the Post. Uh, we'll be having loads of podcasts every week this season, so keep an eye out on there. for The, the Twitter will be where we placed all the links. Uh, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or from Acast. Uh, just search Man on the Post and hit the subscribe or follow buttons. You can find me on Twitter at RossBow1984. And Andy, give us some plugs for some of your stuff.
0: Uh, yeah you can find me on twitter at site tyson um as ross mentioned at the start i we also do a wrestling podcast myself and a guy called lewis clark kind the of co-host that you can find us at the bad Godcast, and uh yeah hit me up to talk anything football games wrestling or basketball
1: there you go and covers the entire spectrum <laughs> <laughs> so there we go that's the first one back in the books it's good to have this back up and running and We'll bring you one of these, hopefully, fingers crossed, weekly throughout the season, if not weekly, definitely fortnightly, whenever I can mean, find time, basically. And whoever's through it this time on Sunday afternoon would be good. Um, but there we go. So it's all, all for me to say. It's goodbye for me and it's goodbye for Andy. Thanks, nice guys. We'll play out with some Ness and Dormer.